Your neighbor tells you about the unstable man in the cul-de-sac who claims to have been abducted by aliens. And then there's the woman in town who claims to see Bigfoot all the time. Your boss, who you greatly admire, confides in you that he has started speaking with his wife daily when he gets home from work. She died eight years ago. It's hard to believe this stuff, and you write these stories off as overactive imaginations. Are these people seeking attention, or are they a bit unstable? No matter what you think, if you're like me, you walk away wondering, what if that was true? The What If It's True podcast features stories by ordinary people like you and me. Something has happened to them, something so strange they are in agony unless they tell others. My name is Cameron Buckner, and the What If It's True podcast is available at whatifitstruepodcast.com and on all available podcast apps. Warning. Some of the subjects we discuss may be too intense or graphic for some audiences. The world is a fearful place. We are surrounded by people and things that would do us harm. Some walk among us every day, while others lurk in the shadows, a threat unknown. Join us as we discuss all of the things that frighten us most, from the paranormal and unknown, to the true and horrific crimes committed by our very own kind. With Matt Knapp and Lauren Smith on Planet Planet Fear. Recently, we talked about the terrifying subject of being buried alive, waking up inside of a coffin six feet beneath the earth's surface, where people mistakenly, or sometimes not so mistakenly, (laughs) buried people thinking they were dead or trying to kill them, and then those people trying to escape or, in most cases, really dying, really dying. Or escaping and then dying. (laughs) (laughs) Again. But nowadays, things have advanced in the medical world. Uh, Procedures have changed. And we have processes that a dead person goes through before they actually get to the gravesite. So you would think (laughs) that, oh, well then I don't have to worry about being buried alive, which is kind of true. The embalming process definitely would get in the way of that. Autopsies would definitely get in the way of that. However, what would happen if instead of being buried alive, you found yourself conscious, but paralyzed on a table in a morgue? Mm. Or in a body bag. We're in a body bag. So joining us to discuss the frightening idea of being alive on the autopsy table, we have Logan Kraft, who was a mortician and funeral director. Logan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are y'all? Fabulous. What made you want to touch dead bodies for a living? Well, honestly... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Bernie with Jack Black? Yes. Mm-hmm. That movie is why I wanted to be an embalmer. I mean, it's as simple as that. And and it's a bad, that's a really bad uh, reason to become an embalmer because he just ends up killing somebody. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a second, Logan. Are you sure but, 
that's the answer you want to go with. I think there are worse <laughs> reasons, though. So yeah, I think you're, you're good. You get a pass. I knew a girl once. Oh, Lord. That, uh, oh, yeah? Had a fetish. Ew. We won't get into that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was bad. You know how you always do story time? I'm not doing story time this time. We're not doing story time. We talked in a previous episode, we talked about being buried alive, and now embalming comes into play. There are a couple things that happen that could cause you to be on an autopsy table, alive, but unable to tell the person that you're alive or come across as alive. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I read a Stephen King story about it once. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so there's a thing called locked-in syndrome, LIS, also known as pseudocoma. So this is a condition where the patient is aware but cannot move or communicate verbally due to complete paralysis of nearly all the voluntary muscles in the body except for vertical eye movements and blinking. So the individual's conscious and sufficiently intact, like cognitively enough to be able to communicate with eye movements, but they can't talk, move, anything like that. And then there's another version of it where it's called total locked-in syndrome where the eyes are paralyzed as well. So you're just... You're... <laughs> you're effed. You're effed AF. I was going to say FUBAR. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's been quite a few cases of that. So you could... Yeah. In theory, you could be awake where they're like, Oh my God, they're dead. Mm-hmm. All the way to like coroner arrives, yeah. body bag getting zipped up, car ride over there. And there's quite a few causes too, like poisoning, stroke, brainstem stroke, diseases, overdose, damage to the cells and nerves, uh, stroke or brain hemorrhage, traumatic brain injury, result of lesion from the brainstem. Like there's all these different reasons this could happen think it's pretty rare but that it exists at all is pretty terrifying yeah i was gonna say like if they've got an acronym for it it's happened at least once we have locked in syndrome and then there's like varying cases that are like it like persistent vegetative state um stuff like that that kind of they're similar conditions so here's the one that screws with me we're gonna call it uh matt syndrome (laughs) Uh, it's something that this may surprise you. I came up with on my own (laughs) (laughs) and it's the idea that none of us really know. So like, what if even during death, you're conscious internally the entire time? Oh yeah. You have told me about that. I mean, we don't know that you're not. Yeah. I mean, there's no brain activity or anything, but. Yeah. You know, you and I both have experienced things that science can't explain. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just might be some science that we haven't gotten to yet uh, to realize that, like, I mean, that would be horrible. It, pretty awful. Yeah. Especially since the diagnosis is difficult to diagnose. Um, there's no treatment really for it. Nobody really recovers for it from it. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, and that's, I mean, if they are, <laughs> if this is caught before. So they've done research to where it's brain computer interface, basically. And 
Um, they said they've developed a technique that allows locked-in patients to communicate via sniffing. <laughs> and then, you know, the blinking and eye movement and stuff. But basically, like, again, just like on Buried Alive, how many doctors are going to test that? <laughs> I mean, the death tests won't work on these people. No. So that's utterly terrifying. Crap. so your little medical bracelet idea (laughs) they would have removed that anyway i'm screwed okay so then you have another syndrome another one Uh uh-huh ready so there's multiple ways this could happen yeah no this one's a little different kind of the same lazarus syndrome basically known as auto resuscitation after failed cardiopulmonary resuscitation Basically, what this means is they're going to spontaneously return to normal cardiac rhythm after failed attempts at resuscitation. Its occurrence has been noted in medical literature at least 38 times since 1982. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've heard of that one before. Like, especially in uh, situations where they, like, froze to death or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, where the core body temperature was lowered enough. And uh, first responders or whoever, you know, didn't put in the proper amount of time of CPR, I guess. Oh, my gosh. That's terrifying. Can you just imagine, like, somebody just... No. Well, not it, going to. <laughs> well, it says that one of the... One hypothesis for it is that whenever they're doing CPR and they stop... The relaxation of pressure causes the heart to expand, which triggers the heart's electrical impulses, which causes it to start beating again. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, we brought Logan on tonight to talk about, let's say someone has locked-in syndrome. They are put in the body bag, they make it to the morgue, and they're put on the table. Logie, can you tell us what that would be like for the person? So you're going to get put on the table in the morgue. And I'm assuming with the locked-in syndrome, you can hear and feel everything that's going on to you. Uh, For the sake of argument, we're going to say yes. (laughs) Okay, well then, since we're on planet fear, let's go ahead and just do the mental terror part of it. First, I have this question. I, I want to know if I'm in this situation and I've been wheeled into the morgue, how much time do I got before? Uh, probably about 24 hours. Okay. I got a day to blink in front of somebody. <laughs> um, and here's, the, here's the best part about it to me mentally is someone from your family, whoever you're uh, just like you're like, let's say Lauren. We're going to use her. If she goes into this vegetative state, her husband gets to go, yeah, go ahead and autopsy her. So you get to have a family member. You get to have a family member go, yeah, cut her up. Go ahead. So you're going to get rolled into the morgue. Uh, You're going to have a coroner and an ME, and you're going to get put on the table. Now, for medical reasons, they try to do the autopsy within 24 hours of the death because – They want to get to you before any sort of decomposition starts to begin. So what they're going to do 
is y'all talked about death uh, tests in the last episode. The simple ones that they do is they will check the eyes, they will use smelling salts, and they will take a uh, like a quarter or a coin or something, and they will put it on your finger, and they will press down on that like they are trying to break your thumb to get any kind of reaction out of you possible. Oh, so they try to make sure you're dead. Yes. Yeah, that's, that is standard practice, and if they don't do that, they're they're kind of like a hot shot corner. Is that like Taco <laughs> Bell where like they have to offer you hot sauce or you don't have to pay for the meal? <laughs> yeah, there's I mean that's uh they used to uh what they they would also take a needle and they would stick it under your toenail and stab under there. Hmm. Lauren likes so. that one. Mhm. Hmm. In case, I mean, of, I, 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 mean no. I know it's far fetched nope. that you know <laughs> this would ever happen, but just in case it does, uh, if Lauren does find herself in that position, could you just go ahead and mark down that she wants the needles under the toenails? That's her preferred. I'll bring a hammer. Choice. Great. I'll take the the needles and a hammer, and I'll just put one under each toe. Logan knows what to do with my body and my service my memorial service after i die he is let's just make something clear for the listeners at this point (laughs) uh logan happens to be our friend yeah uh him and lauren know each other quite well i've known logan for a while so we're not just talking to a random (laughs) guest like this (laughs) (laughs) i don't just randomly call people hey stevie what's up logan i don't think morticians work like uh insurance (laughs) agents (laughs) we're like yeah he's my mortician uh no maybe they should though you know pick out your own mortician it it depends where you are i mean small town like i'm in i mean we just one guy you know and it's kind of like when i die going to him i don't really have a choice what if the mortician (laughs) dies uh that's a good question they actually have substitute mortician and that's that's my retirement plan is you can literally go and list yourself on basically the mortician's version of Craigslist and they'll be like, Hey, we need a guy to come and bomb somebody. And you just hop in your car right over and bomb. <laughs> so the freelance mortician is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not joking when I say that. I mean, it's, and they're the, they're the crazy ones. They're the ones that you would expect <laughs> to like drive up and have smoke come out of the car when they open the door. And, <laughs> Hands are already dirty. <laughs> exactly. They smell like fish. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, back on track. <laughs> so we got 24 hours. Yes. We've you got about 24. Yeah. We've some for some reason, maybe we're just into it. Who knows? We've we've passed or failed <laughs> the final death test, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> Take us through the uh, step-by-step process of what goes on. We're going to be talking about a complete autopsy here. Mm -hmm. So there are three main, I guess they would be main types. You have a frontal, a dorsal, and a cranial autopsy. Uh, Obviously, the frontal is where they do the Y incision and they would open you up from the front. The dorsal 
is where they would cut down the length of your back to reveal your spine. And the cranial is where they would basically go from one ear around the crest of your head skull to the other ear and then go in from there. I'll let y'all choose which one we want to do first. Well, my first question is, so like, what are the reasons uh, between the three? Uh, mainly to access certain organs or certain uh, parts of the body. Like, let's say you knew someone had a liver condition mm-hmm. and they died from the liver condition. Like, you were 99% sure they had died from that liver condition. You're not going to go into someone's head to get to their liver unless you're really good at what you do. Right. So you're going to do a frontal and you're going to go down and get the kidney. Uh, if they had some issue in a vertebrae in their spine, if it was a nervous issue that had to do with their spine, you would do a dorsal. However, you can also get to the spine from the front. It just involves removing all of the organs. Yeah, it's a lot deeper. Yes. And most of the time when you do an autopsy from the front to get to the spine, you're not removing the entire spine. You're removing a section of it. Or a, a chunk of it, and they'll actually do a test on that chunk. So there's not really like a one, two, three steps that you do. It's whatever the autopsy calls for. It's yes, yeah. For, uh, it's whatever the autopsy calls for, and it also depends on, you know, not all bodies are there just because the family wanted them to do it. Homeless people, like I mean, it's the grim. That's how life works. Homeless people, 90% of them get used for studying. They get sent to a medical school or something like that. So those are ones that get opened up all over. Uh, Yeah. And and at that point, it just depends on what order the person who's doing it wants to do it. So is the frontal sort of the default go-to? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with that one then. So we're we're <laughs> we're laying there on the table, completely aware of what's okay. going on. From what I have read on this, um, I get mixed reviews. Some of it says that they can only see and and hear, and then there is another one that says that they do have um, some sensation through their bodies. So good. We're yeah. laying there. We can hear you, and we could see you. So after the body gets washed off, okay, so first you're going to get a bath. Is the water warm or cold? Uh, It's usually cold, lukewarm. You know, because it's not like you're supposed to feel it. I'm already miserable. I love hot showers. (laughs) I don't think you're getting (laughs) like a nice gentle sponge bath (laughs) with bath bombs and stuff. (laughs) No, most of the time they get those like – the green scrub pads that you see at the store. A Brillo pad. Yeah. Scotch bright. Okay. Now, so are we going to, are we doing a man or a woman? Well, we're talking about Lauren. We're just using you as an example. Okay. Okay. Your so, husband and this is, issued this. So. Oh, great. <laughs> So, 
What's going to happen for a frontal in, uh, autopsy is there's going to be what is called a Y incision made. So basically you start from the joint of each shoulder and it change, it's different on a man and a woman. On a, on a man, you would go from the shoulder to the sternum and then you would have each side meet there. So you'd one shoulder down, other shoulder down. They would meet in the middle right there. And then you would go straight down all the way to the uh, pelvic cavity, which is right above the groin or, you know, and oh, do you it cut looks through like the belly a button? Wait, do you cut through the belly button? Yes. Oh, no. Cut, no. He's not skinning cut, a deer. Oh, my God. <laughs> you either cut wait. through the belly button or you can go around it. It depends how straight your line is. Please go around it. Oh, God, can I put in my thingy that I want with someone? I have this horrible phobia of people touching my belly button. You won't feel it. Now the, if I'm locked the in, best I will, part, man. Oh I, I'm just, the, the best part about it is I don't know if you've ever cut into a human being before. <laughs> it takes a few, just cats. it takes a few slices incisions to get through all of that so it's not like it's just going to be one clean cut you're going to sit there and you're going to be going at it for a while so if the person still has feeling that's the time for them to speak up (laughs) (laughs) what if they can't okay so let's just say the person has locked in syndrome technically even though they're paralyzed, their blood would spill, right? So at that point, would would you know they were alive? Or here, here's the thing: if they have a heartbeat, they would bleed the second I cut them. Okay, and what would your reaction to that be? My reaction would be either I got to finish this guy off because <laughs> I'm getting sued. <laughs> Or I need to go find your husband and ask him, why did you tell me to do <laughs> Okay. So basically from the first cut, you should know. But here's the thing. like, <laughs> well, Okay. So it's, it's obvious that the heart pushes the blood through the body. Right. It goes through the arteries, comes back through the vein. Or, yeah, it comes back through the veins. If you have a heartbeat, you have pressure in those veins and in those arteries. Mm-hmm. Your capillaries are still going to be holding all that blood. If I were to, and this is this is my best example, if I have someone who is dead and they are legitimately gone, if I prick their finger, blood is not going to pour out of their finger. Mm-hmm. I am going to have to squeeze yeah, really, really hard. If you're alive and I'll prick your finger, blood is going to come out. So you should know pretty dang quick if somebody is alive but not able to respond on your table. So the thing with locked-in syndrome that I didn't really go whole hog into the research, but from what I looked at, it never said anything about the heartbeat. It never said anything about... Like, oh, yeah, well, we, you know, there's no pulse or anything like that. So let's say that the person doesn't have locked-in syndrome and they have Lazarus syndrome. For all intents and purposes, they're dead. For instance, Velma Thomas, 59, of Nitro, West Virginia, 
She holds the record time for being recovered from a clinical death. In May 2008, Thomas went into cardiac arrest at her home. Medics were able to establish a faint pulse after eight minutes of CPR. Her heart stopped twice after arriving at the hospital and she was placed on life support. Doctors attempted to lower her body temp to prevent additional brain injury. She was declared dead, clinically dead for 17 hours after doctors failed to detect any brain activity. Her son, Tim Thomas, stated that her skin had already started hardening and her hands and toes were curling up. They were already drawn. She was taken off life support and funeral arrangements were in progress. However, 10 minutes after being taken off life support, she revived and recovered. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of those that they straight up died. That just opens up so many medical questions for me. Like, did their organs start to fail as a result of that? Did they come back just 100%? You know, I have questions. But let's just say the person has Lazarus syndrome and they don't have a heartbeat on your table. Or some kind of damage was done where the capillaries and things that deliver blood to that area aren't working. Okay. Is that even a thing? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Look, okay. We're playing pretend here. (laughs) Okay. It said her skin had already started to harden. So let's say you were slicing into her and that was not bleeding. (laughs) Okay. So, and, and, the difference between, and this is the only reason I want to point this out, is because they do it wrong on TV. <laughs> with, with a man, when you do the Y incision, there's nothing there. They just go straight to the sternum. With a woman, on TV, when they make the Y incision, they go on top of where the breasts are. In reality, they go under. And then they wrap around to the sternum, then go down. You, you get the Y incision made, and then you open it up. So you're going to have the left side and the right side. You're going to flop that open. Then you're going to have where your uh, sternum and neck area is. You're going to put that up and you're going to have all of your muscle. You're going to have your rib cage exposed. You're going to have all those organs that aren't covered by bones, like your large intestine, small intestine, kidneys, all that. That's all going to be exposed. I believe if somehow there wasn't a heartbeat and you weren't losing blood, you could somehow still be alive or at least conscious for this part. What most people have is a rotary bone saw, and you're going to cut through each rib and you're going to remove the entire rib plate as one piece. Uh, Some people I don't remember the, 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 the actual name for them. We always just called them rib shears. Basically, imagine garden hedge clippers that you would use on the rib cage to cut through all the ribs where the cartilage and the ribs come together. So you're going to remove that. Now, at this point, you can see the lungs. You can see the heart. If they have a heartbeat and that thing is beating, what do if you the do? quarter doesn't pass out, uh, at that point, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> I mean, there's no, like, putting them back together and sewing them back up and going on with life, right? I mean. I mean, at that point, I, I pity anybody that ends up in that situation, and I don't know who will have it worse, either the coroner 
or the guy that's on the table because uh, <laughs> because I the mean, rib part. I mean, that's kind of you need your ribs. Yeah, I'm just yeah. glad we moved on from the belly button part. I was that was too much for me. I can't. <laughs> no, absolutely not. The next order of business for a frontal autopsy is they're gonna they're gonna do an overview, right? They're gonna look over it and be like, okay, does this look out of place? Does this look out of place? So what they're going to do next, and and once again, this is in any order. This is however they want to do it. Uh, I'm just going to say they start with your intestines because those are the biggest thing, and there it's easy to get them out of the way. You're going to snip the end of the large intestine on both ends, remove it. You're going to snip the ends on the small intestines. You're going to remove those. Now, if they are not studying those for anything, if they know there's nothing wrong with them, they're literally going to put them in a bucket and just sit them aside. From there, they're going to move on to the more vital organs. They're going to move on to your kidneys, pancreas, the lungs, the heart. uh, And you have to keep in mind, this is the part where if you weren't dead before, goodbye because they are going to remove your heart. They are going to cut your heart out. And at that point you will be gone because there is no choice of whether you're coming back or not at that point. Can I get a medical bracelet that says, give my heart a little smacky smack (laughs) to see if it does anything. Can I'm putting that on my bracelet. (laughs) You said, you said smacky smack. And this is just a side note as an embalmer. (laughs) Do not piss off whoever your uh, coroner or your medical examiner is because arteries are like rubber bands. (laughs) You can sit there and pull on them and they will pop like a rubber band. If you upset your coroner, he will take the heart and he will pull it out. He will sit there and pull on it and then cut the arteries and they will shoot up into the head. They will shoot into the leg, and it will make that body almost impossible to properly embalm. I watched this show called Making of a Murderer, I think it was called, yes. where I learned and eventually did an entire podcast episode about how in some places you don't have any requirements to be a coroner. Yeah. Especially like in smaller towns, it can just be whoever. It could be the lunch lady. It, it could be any. No offense to lunch ladies. You know, God bless you. I'm just saying that always kind of bothered me because like corners have true. a lot of power. Yeah, they're like, aren't they yeah. deputized and everything? Yeah, like they're yeah yeah they're they, able to make legal uh, arrest accusations uh, and uh, all that. And screw you on your embalming. And it can, yep. you know, it's just anybody. I mean, it might be some some person that you pissed off in high school. And they're like, oh, well, looky here. Who do we got? <laughs> that, that's bothering. But that is that is an actual thing is in, in really, really small towns. They'll just be like, hey, Jim, are you busy right now? No, I'm on lunch break. Okay, Miss Betsy over here, she needs to get looked at. And now Jim is your local coroner. I mean, this has happened a lot. The Lazarus Center. Oh, I thought you meant the no. rubber banding. Yeah, thing. that's probably happened a lot too. I asked Logan. I would I, call it slingshotting. Just oh putting God. it out there if you want to use it. 
<laughs> so I asked Logan before we did this show, um, he was explaining that. And I asked him, I said, how many coroners have you pissed off? What'd you say, Logie? As far as I know, none. <laughs> as far as you know. And That's if, usually what I say I whenever I don't want to admit to what I did. Pretty much, because if you know <laughs> Logan. <laughs> Do you plan on moving out of your town before you die? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to move to Caddo Lake and disappear one day. <laughs> Literally the very first time I ever talked to Logan Craft in person. We talked about this. We talked about dead bodies and funerals and embalming and all of that. Well, how could you not? <laughs> like, I had just met him at Hanobi Bigfoot Festival, and we were sitting around the campfire talking about dead people. I have all these cases sitting in front of me where basically the person was declared dead, packed up, sent to the mortuary. Um, in this one, a policeman found the person moving in the mortuary after 20 minutes. In another one, a funeral worker noticed the woman moving and alerted his coworker that the woman should go back to the hospital. Um, in another one, it says that uh, the person said, hey, um, you need to come look at this, and I think she needs to go back to the hospital. Like, this is over and over and over. So I, I imagine it's like circumstantial, though. I would give anything to be a fly on the wall when <laughs> when that person moves. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the thing, too. You have to factor in rigor mortis. Um, I actually know people who have quit because of things that have happened to them when a body would get rigor mortis. Mm. Um, and. Basically, when you look at it, rigor mortis is there's a biochemical that once you're dead, your body no longer produces in your joints. And it, I think it's about three to four hours after death that rigor mortis starts to set in. However, in cases where someone is super muscular, it is worse. If uh, the more muscles you have, the worse rigor mortis is. So if you have little old granny, she's not going to do much. She's going to, she's going to stiffen up, but you can break that out. I if pointed have, at myself and Lauren started laughing. <laughs> if you're wondering what's going on. But if you have, if you have Chad that hits the gym every day, drinks five protein shakes and eats 12 eggs raw, you're going to have to have like three people to break his rigor mortis out. But basically I had a friend that was driving, uh, I guess just for simple terms, the house call car van that you would go pick up somebody and from the house. And he had them in the back and he was going down the road and he went a really, really long way to pick this person up. <laughs> and he got halfway back and the body sat up mm. behind him. Like the undertaker? And he, <laughs> like the undertaker, because when the rigor mortis set in, you guys are killing me. They're, they, the, their back just stiffened up, and they sat up, and he slammed the brake. Dude, I would turn into Scooby-Doo so fast. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've, had, I've had a thing where I walked into uh, the prep room, and we had, a, we had a guy on the table. I forgot something in the other room, and I left, and I came back, and his arm was like, like up 
you know, you know, like the thing when people use dumbbells and they pick it, yeah. you know, and they're like mm-hmm. flexing. I came back and that dude's arm was up, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I can't, I'm picturing Matt Scooby doing off the windshield right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my lord, that's yeah. funny. Van still rolling down the road. <laughs> Matt's running the other way. So when, but when you when you tell me that somebody sees a body move, unless they are like <laughs> dancing in the bag like they are trying to get out, my first thought is rigor mortis set in. They stiffened up somehow, and now they move in one um they brought like they declared her dead all of that um took her back home and laid her out for the wake or whatever and they came in and her eyes were open and they they called the doctor and she was alive i'm gonna assume this is a situation where you know you've been through training and Mm -hmm. educated on the process and I assume practiced it a few times, <laughs> uh, interned, whatever. I mean, it's pretty much a daily thing that you're around these dead bodies. Yeah. You would notice something out of the ordinary, wouldn't you? Give us some hope, Logie. Exactly. Like I'm saying, like, somebody raises, you You would recognize the difference between a voluntary movement and rigor mortis. Exactly, because rigor mortis is stiff. Like, once that arm goes up, it is locked in place. Until I go over there and break it, it is locked in place. Matt's doing the robot over here right now. Well, I mean, just if a breakdancer died (laughs) and then came back to life, I mean, what do you mean break? uh, Okay, so like Rigor Mortis, you said it'd take like a bunch of dudes to get like Arnold's body all straightened up. (laughs) Like, what do you do? Just like grab an arm and start cranking on it? Pretty much, uh... So if, if the arm is, remember the dumbbell position, you got the dumbbell and you bring it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're flexing, you're using your flexural muscle. I'm going to grab that arm and I'm going to try to straighten your arm back out. What I am doing is I am getting that muscle to release okay. that joint to release. So you're not and it literally, arm. you know, no, no, you're not breaking your arm. It's, Feels, I'm going to tell you right now, it feels like you're trying to break their arm and it sounds like you're breaking their arm because it cracks whenever you do it. Okay. I rolled my ankle this week. I just feel like I should point that out. We know. Uh huh. Okay. So I wiped out in my kitchen on the, <laughs> I had mopped and I walked to the trash can all strutting and wiped out. And when I wiped out, my ankle cracked. I mean, it didn't crack it popped loud as I hit the ground. That sound was so abhorrent to me that I threw up. That is, I already know what you're talking, that is the sound it will make whenever you break a rigor mortis. And you got to remember, rigor mortis is in the knees, the elbows, uh, shoulders. They like pulling a turkey wing apart. (laughs) The hips, yeah. Yeah, all right. Anywhere there's a large joint, which is, you know, those ones. So only joints, not just muscles. So, yeah. so Lauren has a question. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to ask. That we one. we should address it. Well, I mean, I should obviously at the beginning of the show we have the graphic warning. If they've made it this far, God bless them. So, so it's only in the joints. It's not other appendages <laughs> that might stick up. 
other appendages will get large. Oh. Right. But no, uh, no, they get large. The blood I, settles. I'm aware. I'm just saying the blood settles. Yeah, the blood everybody settles. knows that. I didn't know that until I talked to you guys. You weirdos. It gets large. Engorged. No, the blood settles. Even the women's. But wait, let's just let everybody know. Part of Logan's job was draining those appendages and. How dare you bring that up? I'm bringing it up. That's what I was asking. Is what's the process? Yes, he had to. to, He had to drain them. Whenever you're washing down the body, is usually when you do all that. Okay. You're not really squeezing them as much as you are. Just you're you're kind of you're you're lifting them up and letting the blood drain back into the pelvic cavity. So when I said Logan fondled dead bodies for a living, I am legit. He fondled dead bodies for a living. It was part of his job. That sounds really bad. That sounds really bad on a background check. <laughs> so does that happen with any other parts of the body, like the lips or anything? It depends. It depends how they die. Uh, the blood goes to whatever the lowest part of the body is. If you die flat on your back, the reason your back is going to be red and everything on top is going to be pale is because you no longer have the gravitational system of your blood working. Right. So all that blood goes to the body. So if you were to fall face first, yes, your lips, everything on the front side would have the blood going to it. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to the cranial. So, so let's let's talk about that process of a cranial autopsy and what all that involves. They do this for the embalmer. The coroner will do this for the embalmer. The the incision they make on the skin, they do around the back of the head because they want you to be able to stitch it up. And if you're having a viewing, they don't want people to see the stitch. Once the incision is made around the back of the head, they then take the skin, which was in my class was very delicately called the flap, and you pull the flap over the top of the head and straight down. Now, is that the scientific term? (laughs) Clearly. I don't know. We only ever refer to it as the skull flap. So you pull it down. And you got to realize that their face, the skin part of their face, is now where their their sternum, their chest would be. It's like so you're left on their with, chest. Yes. Yeah, but don't you have to like use a butter knife type thing and like <laughs> detach the skin from the skull? Well, there's no point to. Oh, so you just rip it? You just rip it. Yeah. We're, we're, we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre before it was cool. We just rip over here. We don't do anything oh. fancy. You're left with the skull with, with whatever muscle is still on it. You know, once again, you have the bone saw. You go from the ear over the crest of the skull to the other ear, and then uh, you go around the back by the... Uh, Foreman magnum or the uh, occipital bone and you go around it and then it takes out the back chunk of your skull. So you put that on the table and now you have access to the brain. The brain. 
Did you work on actual bodies in school? Yeah. I was kind of curious. They were, uh, they, they give you cadavers. Uh, so basically when you get to your third and fourth quarter, there's five quarters. If you're in Texas and you're going to Dallas Institute, which is where I went to, to be an embalmer, you also have to do the funeral director program, which is five quarters. Your third and uh, third quarter, you have to have 10 cases, which is you have to work on 10 bodies. And then your uh, fourth quarter, you have to have, uh, I believe it's 12 or it's either it's backwards, one of the two, but basically you get cadavers, which are just people. They shave all their hair off and they no longer have a name. They bring them into you and they go, this is number one, two, three, four. You're going to be working on this body today. You no longer refer to them as he, she, it is cadaver. It is this number. That's just how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren is entranced. (laughs) There is, there is a funny story off of that question. Uh, my last quarter in school, someone came up to the college, just a random person, and asked if we could work on a body. And they were like, okay, are they at a funeral home? And the guy goes, no, she's in my car. Oh, my God. His, his grandma died. He didn't have the money to take her to a funeral home. So he wrapped her up in a towel, put her in his driver's or in his passenger seat, and tried to uh, get us to embalm him or her. I mean, I mean, I know you can have like Votech students work on your car and stuff, <laughs> but I mean, well, I will tell you about after about four hours of debate, I ended up embalming that person. Really? Yes, they finally allowed us uh, to embalm that person. So me and like four other people, it was our embalming teacher and like three of us. <laughs> went in there and embalmed them, but it took like four hours to get the legal okay to do it. Have you ever worked on anybody that you knew? Small town, I knew them, but I didn't know them. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. I knew close. of them. Yeah, well, I wasn't close. I haven't worked on any family members or anything, no. Well, I just meant like maybe like the situation where you're going to school for or whatever and Number one six seven three is like your old high school girlfriend or something. <laughs> nope, I've never had that happen. So back to the cranial autopsy. You've got the back of the skull removed, and you have access to the brain. What is it that you're looking for in that situation? Uh, most of the time, they're going to be looking for signs of like uh, dementia or just damage. You know. Um, if there's like cancer, some kind of disease, they're going to be looking for something that should not be on there or something that is abnormal. What does dementia look like? uh, Don't ask me. I I sewed them up and I made them look pretty. I didn't do the autopsy part. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about that because that also interests me because it seems like, and I could be wrong, but like, you could very easily go into the special effects industry, couldn't you? As far as uh, restorative art and stuff, sure. Uh, what we used was a 
it's like 98% beeswax and something else. And that's what you use to make faces. If you had to do a restorative uh, art, if someone got half of their face ripped off and you couldn't find it to put it back together, you spend 12 hours making a fake face, you know? Mm -hmm. What about situations where you're dealing with a person who has lost body parts? like an arm or something, what what do you do in that situation? Oh, you can fake an arm. If it's a, if it's a man, most likely you're going to bury the guy in a suit. So you're not going to see the arm. So you're just going to fill the sleeve up with cotton, and then you're going to do the same thing. You're going to use that RA wax, and you're going to make an, uh, make a hand out of that wax. Then you're going to put makeup on the hand and coloring until it looks like it's the natural uh, tone or shade of the skin. Do you just kind of eyeball that, or do you make like a mold of the other hand, or how does that work? Uh, you just you eyeball it. I mean, I've never seen someone who has a mold. Everybody that I know or everybody that I've seen, is they eyeball it. When I when I tell you it takes like I've seen people that have stayed up for three days straight redoing someone's entire face before, mm. and uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Whitaker. He's probably the most famous RA person in Texas, but he will sit there for three days and remake someone's face, and it will almost look exactly the same. Wow. Uh, in situations where something tragic or horrible has happened, suicide, something like that, uh, where there's a closed casket. Uh, how much work do you put into that? If it's a closed casket? Yeah, do you just put them in there as is? or? Uh, well, you're still going to have to do the embalming. You're going to have to do the disinfection of the body and all that. If you know for sure it's a closed casket and no one is going to be able to get into that casket, you're probably still going to put something to cover the face just in case something does happen and the casket opens. But no, you're not going to go through all the trouble of recreating it or anything like that. What, what do you cover the face with? Oh, you just put a, a, a towel or a sheet over it. Oh, okay. Because, hmm. I mean, if it's a closed casket, the family's not going to bring you a $200 suit to put the person in. Right. You're literally going to be burying them in just street clothes, essentially. I just you thought know, maybe I would, if you put like a clown mask on them or something, just to, you know, <laughs> if somebody decided to be an asshole and open the casket. <laughs> well, when Lauren has her funeral, we're going to put like a, a slipknot mask on her. Cause I know that's how she would want to go. It is. Back to autopsies and such. Do you embalm people without them having an autopsy first? Yeah. Okay, so you could literally be sitting there with a body and go to put the embalming fluid in and they move and oh my God. Yeah. Autopsies are only required if the state or the government requires them or if you have the family's permission. Are there specific states that require autopsies and where can I move to get there? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure on that one. I just have to tell you, don't die in a suspicious manner by yourself. 
I'm going to have to update my medical <laughs> alert bracelet again. <laughs> Autopsy me. So we have a case. The reason I asked that. A Colombian woman was declared dead of a heart attack and moved one of her arms just as the embalmer was about to inject embalming fluid into her left leg. So that means he already had the femoral artery opened and he was ready to go. He had the cannula in there and she was like, yo, homie, hold up. (laughs) He said she was moving her right arm and I stopped the procedure and brought her back to the hospital to be treated. Okay, so here's something I've obviously been miseducated on. I was under the impression that you drain the body before embalming. It's actually at the same time. So like a blood Uh, transfusion? Essentially. Okay, so in this case, he's doing a femoral, uh, he's embalming from the femoral artery. Okay, first off, let's just paint a picture of what I envision as embalming. You envision like Elizabeth Bathory situation. They've like taken a large needle, like a spike basically, (laughs) and like shoved it into an artery somewhere, drained all the blood out. Then they stick the same type spike in a different artery and pump the body back full of fluid. That's he a just, lot of work. He just made. You should have seen the hand gestures. It was like he was holding a I harpoon. Gotta jab it in there. <laughs> like, are, okay. you, are you impaling Moby Dick? What are you so, doing over there? So, how accurate is my description? Oh my god. Uh, maybe when the first people ever tried it, maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, but it. All my so, embalming knowledge comes from TV. Okay, <laughs> on like horror movies. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you have femoral, which is what that guy was doing to the woman that moved. Uh, and then you have a carotid embalming. And what you're going to do is you're going to go onto the leg, because this is what I always did. You're going to go to the femoral triangle. You're going to raise the femoral artery. And you're going to raise a vein. You're going to go ahead and just completely cut through the vein. The vein is your discharge. The artery, you're going to snip the top of it to where you can get into it. You're, and, and Matt's big scary needle is called a cannula. You are going to put the cannula, if you're doing it from the leg, the femoral, you're going to have it pointed up towards the heart. Then you are going to have all of your embalming fluid. Embalming fluid is a mix of a bunch of different fluids. You have your dye and all that, formaldehyde, etc. You're going to turn your pump on, your machine. The pressure from that machine is going to push the embalming fluid into the body and in the process, the embalming fluid pushes the blood out. It goes back through the body and pushes all the blood back out through that vein that you cut. So you're literally, at the same time you're putting it in, you're pushing it out, the blood out. So in an autopsy where they've removed all these organs and everything, what do you do there? You obviously can't embalm them. 
That's a great question. So when the coroner gets done, the coroner is lazy. So he picks up all the organs that he took out. Except for the one where you live, Logan. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the one where I live. He throws them back into the cavity. It doesn't matter what organ it is. He just throws it in there and he sticks the rib plate on top of it. He takes one piece of suture and makes one stitch at the middle of the Y. He then puts them back in the body bag and he ships them to the embalmer. The embalmer gets them. The embalmer gets on the, gets the body. What you're going to do is you're going to fill up a bucket with some uh, embalming solution and uh, embalming fluids. You're going to take all those organs and throw them in the bucket and forget about them. You're going to take the rib plate. You're going to put it to the side. Uh, embalming an autopsy body is different than, bombing, than embalming a non-autopsy body. There's a lot more steps because I no longer have the arterial and uh, vascular system intact. I have to embalm both legs separately. I have to embalm both arms separately. I have to do the head by itself. And then I have to do a topical embalming of the entire torso. So it just creates a lot of work. Also, also I'm going to, when I'm putting, once I do do, get the embalming done on the body, I'm going to remember, oh, I have a bucket full of organs over here. Why was that string tied around my finger? (laughs) Oh, yeah, the bucket of organs. (laughs) You're just going to take all of those which have now been embalmed just topically, superficially, however you want to say it, and put them back into the cavity, smooth them out so there's no bumps. Then you're going to get your rib plate. They make this powder, and you actually, I skipped a step, and I'm sorry. Before you put the organs back in, you get your embalming powder. Embalming powder looks like dry rub that you would use on barbecue. I'm so hungry right now. You're really screwing with me. Here. <laughs> yeah. I'm never. You're going to put dry rub what we will now. We will now refer to this as human dry rub, <laughs> and you're going to put this all inside the cavity to soak up anything you would have missed, any blood, any anything that you could have missed is going to be absorbed and embalmed by this dry rub. Then you put your organs and everything back in there. Then you're going to take the rib plate and you're going to cover it in the human dry rub and put the rib plate on top. Then you're going to spend the next 45 minutes stitching the Y incision closed. Okay, so autopsy process excluded. Uh, You're the embalmer. The body's been autopsied. It gets returned to you. How long does all this take? Well, if it's not autopsied and you know what you're doing, maybe an hour and a half. If it's autopsied, um, four, four hours, five hours, if everything goes right. Do they have secret competitions? You know, I don't. <laughs> it's a I legitimate know, question. But, I mean, that just seems like something that would happen. Is there an underground embalmer fight ring? <laughs> no, like, you know, 
I'm the speed champion of the Northwest. When I was in school, I heard a lot of people talking about, well, my something and something, because you got to realize a lot of these people, it's the family business. Uh, It was not my family business. Uh, so I was literally an outsider because I was just like, Oh, this looks cool. I want to go do it. Cause I don't want to talk to people all day. Well, <laughs> all these other people are like, well, my grandpa could embalm somebody in 30 minutes. And I'm like, he skipped 17 steps to do it. Too. <laughs> well, my grandpa says your grandpa sucks at it. Did you guys ever, while you were in school or after, did y'all have your own version of gross out? Um, I can tell you right now, if you get grossed out easily, you didn't make it past the third week of school. Um, pretty much everybody in there had already either been exposed to the business or they were like Lauren and they loved gore and horror and they were okay with it. There really wasn't a gross out. It was more of a uh, and and it sounds bad. It's more of a how far can you go before you mentally break down kind of thing. <laughs> that sounds like because, a fun game. And it's it's Funeral directors and morticians have one of the highest rates of alcoholism and suicide out of any profession. Really? Yeah, they have the highest rate of suicide and alcoholism because, you know, they're working on children, they're working on young adults, they're working on, you know, it it takes a special person to be able to literally go and deal with death on a daily basis. And especially once you get to like these small town funeral homes where you are working on people that you know, and it's kind of like, oh, I saw Janet at Brookshire's yesterday and now she's here, you know? Mm. So, yeah. So I'm going to assume this being a job, a work environment, everybody being human, accidents happen. All the time. You hear, you hear stories about, you know, the, the weird cases where like a doctor left a sponge inside of somebody and sewed them back up and stuff. Do things ever get left inside of bodies by like the morticians? Does anything weird happen sometimes? You know, there's a difference between leaving something in a person that's going to hopefully be alive afterwards. Versus someone who's already dead. Right. I mean, uh, would you like? You're not gonna. <laughs> you're you're not gonna. Oops! I left my scalpel in Miss May. Uh, I mean, we I got another scalpel. Wallet, like you might go after. Yeah, that. if it was my wallet, I'd be like, I gotta open you back up. I'm sorry, but you know, uh, I've never left anything inside somebody. I know in class. Uh, somebody left a sponge in somebody, but we were, or uh, I say we, I was watching, I wasn't doing, they were purposely told to leave it in there because they had some kind of, uh, fluid buildup still in there. And they're like, eh, it'll soak it up. This one time I was, I was doing my cases and I can't, I, I guess legally I can't say the name of the funeral home, but, 
uh, we're sitting there and this is a place that does like 60 cases a day. And when y'all talk about cases, my first thought is a case is a person that is a body. So when you tell me I ha- like when Lauren sits there and she goes, well, I have these cases in front of me. I'm sitting here like, why do you have dead people in front of you? No, so, that's what she's talking about. Oh, okay. Well, good. We're on the same page. True. So this funeral home does easy 60 cases a day. Um, and it was an almost primarily all African-American funeral home. And the reason that I was doing cases there was because I could literally get my entire quarter's worth in one or two days. So the only time I ever saw a white person go through this funeral home, his name was Marlon Melvin Pelvin. That is not a lie. May him rest in peace. May he rest in peace. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) There's a reason this is important. Yeah, it's getting better. The guy I was working with told me to go over there and get him ready for uh, prep, which basically means go over there, take the clothes off, wash him down, get him ready to actually be embalmed. So I'm wearing... You got to remember, I just got out of school. I'm wearing my, my dress clothes. I'm six foot four. They do not make aprons for people <laughs> over six foot two. Oh, my God. I just realized something. So, You're the tall man from Phantasm, aren't you? <laughs> he got me. <laughs> he scooby-dooed me. Sweet Lord. I knew I'd figure it out. So the apron goes to my knees and stops. So I'm sitting here and I'm trying to get the shirt off of Marlon. And I go to lift his arm up and skin slip happens. So when you get old, your skin starts to get thinner. It's natural. It happens to all of us. It's like ED, but with you know, your skin. So I go to lift up his arm and all of the arm slips off to his wrist and I accidentally lose it in the process. And it comes down and makes a slapping motion towards me. My apron is now covered in blood. I'm just like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. I put the skin back down on the arm. Now I got to stitch that back up. I get the shirt off and I'm getting them ready. Well, anyway, it's time to go. So me and another person that I was doing these cases with were like, we're hungry. Let's go to IHOP. <laughs> I, so we're going to go to IHOP because if you go to IHOP in Mesquite, it's dinner and a show. Every time you go, something happens. Right. So we walk in there and I'm still in my, my dress clothes. We literally went from funeral home to IHOP. I smell like embalming fluid. We walk in there, and everybody's staring at me. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I wore something funny. Mm-hmm. We get put down at our table. And like I said, I'm six foot four. We got put in a booth, and... I usually, if nobody's sitting with me, I will turn around and I will stick my legs out so I have room. Right. 
So the waitress comes up and she's giving us our menus and she's, you know, whatever. And then she's talking and she's just like, welcome to Ahokato. And I'm like, uh, chocolate milk, please. <laughs> okay. And so she goes away and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the hell is wrong? And she brings out the food and she's still just looking at me. And finally I'm like, what the, I'm like, what's going on? I look down and from my knees to my, my ankles, my pants are just covered in blood. I hate it so when where that my, happens. I hate it too because I sat there, I put my legs back under the table, I finished my meal, and then I walked back out of IHOP. But on the way out, I was looking down and I noticed that I left a trail of blood all the way to that booth. Mm. Which is a big no-no. Needless to say, those pants were thrown away. But that that's basically the IHOP story of how I contaminated an entire restaurant with uh, corpse blood. Marlins. Yeah, lifeblood. So have you ever experienced anything paranormal? I've never experienced anything paranormal at a funeral home. In my personal life, yes. I've had all kinds of paranormal stuff happen. When I would go to a funeral home at 3 a.m. in the morning and be sitting there, because I'm having to work on somebody, I never at once or never at one point felt like something was going to happen. I never felt anything paranormal-esque. I actually felt calmer at the funeral homes than I did anywhere else or at the school. So do you think that's because if a ghost were to haunt a place it would be where they died and not where their body is in your professional opinion in my professional opinion i uh i think that funeral homes could be a good area for paranormal because you still got to factor into the fact that you have people going there on an almost daily basis and they're all putting out a uh, magnitude of different emotions. You got sad people, happy people, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're supercharging that environment. If you're going off the theory that energy helps manifest or promote spirits in some way, in theory, funeral homes should be like a supercell of paranormal activity. And it's probably just because of where I work or where I've been, I never felt like anything was actually going to happen. Have you ever heard of any criminal or shady activities being carried on by a mortician? Not, uh, not incriminating yourself, of course, but like selling no, cadavers out the back that. door or anything. Mm, no, uh, all I've ever really seen is the the news articles where it's like they the cremation people were burying the people out in the backyard or whatever and selling like fire like like campfire ash <laughs> to the people. Does it so another fun fact about Logan is that he is uh licensed to run a crematorium. 
So is it more expensive to cremate somebody than uh, go the traditional route of autopsy and embalming and all that? Nope. You're going to save a lot of money on cremation. I meant like from running it, like a business aspect, not how much it costs the person, the loved one. But from a business aspect, is it more expensive to burn somebody or embalm somebody? Embalm, because you're having to buy the chemicals every time. And the other one all uh, is lighter fluid, like you're good to go. I mean, if I could do it with lighter fluid, I'd have one in my backyard. But <laughs> you're going to have to have your actual cremator. Uh, I I can't really go into that without describing how an actual cremator works and operates. Gotcha. Uh, but it is all around cheaper to cremate as a business than it is to embalm just based off of, uh, if you're running, if you're looking at it from a, uh, an owner's perspective, you're paying hourly or salary, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Embalming takes longer and it takes more manpower. Uh, plus, you're having to buy chemicals, whether you're buying it from Pierce or Dodge or whoever. They're expensive. You know, you want to go buy Triton. You, you want to buy the good stuff and that's going to cost you. Um, then you're also paying for a casket. That means the business owner has to buy a casket, bring it in, try to sell it. Cremation is all around cheaper, and that's why it is taking over the whole funeral market right now. What would you prefer for yourself? (laughs) For myself? Yeah. I want to be on a Viking pyre. I want to be put out on a boat, and I want to have Leonard Skinner blaring as I slowly burn. Mm -hmm. Is that even legal? In Maine. They are legalizing that in Maine. Okay. Logan, in your professional opinion... What is the best way for someone to get rid of a body and not get caught? I mean, I would think a cremation would pretty much handle it. (laughs) It would. Okay, but what I'm saying is like, let's just say if you were to give someone a very strong paralytic, like uh, the... Could you hide a murder from a medical examiner and a mortician? Yeah, that. Uh, you're not going to have to worry about it with the mortician. He's not going to be looking. He's just going to be doing his job and disinfecting the body. The coroner, that's where it comes in, and it just depends who the coroner is. I I can, I can without a shadow of a doubt, doubt, tell you I can make a body disappear, and you'll never find it ever again. I can tell you that as an embalmer, as a mortician, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Sending it to a coroner, I don't know if I could get it past his check, but it could look like an accident. <laughs> Someone's going to listen to this, and they're going to never pass my background check ever again. <laughs> oh, well, I was just thinking, so there's there's this poison. Okay. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you need to log off of Alibaba right now. <laughs> It's called Carrere, okay, and it's it's from the in, originating from the indigenous people in Central and South America, and it's used as a paralytic agent for hunting and therapeutic purposes. 
but it, it can paralyze the person to the point where basically they have no heartbeat or breath sounds or anything like that. And I'm just saying, if someone were to do that and put them on an autopsy table, like, okay, she's dead, here you go, you know. Especially, They're still going to have a heartbeat. Yeah, but are they going to find the heartbeat before uh, cutting into them and, and looking at the heart directly or... They're, they're still going to have the heartbeat and there's going to be some sign of breathing. So I'm going to say if they're actually paying attention, yes. <laughs> now, if it's a rush job where he's like, the game's coming on at four, I got to be out of here and it's two o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Lauren seem like she's bound and determined <laughs> to uh, find a way to get a person on a slab? <laughs> I'm... I'm just, I'm making sure this can't happen to me. Okay. Crossing my T's. To her. (laughs) If you want to make a body disappear, you're going to want a hog. There's two ways you can do this. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Luckily, I have a wild hog. You're going to have your person, and we're not saying that you're murdering them. That's illegal. We're going to say that they just kind of happened to step on your property when they weren't supposed to, and you made them go to sleep. So you're going to first remove any and all jewelry that they have on them. You're going to go either just get rid of the jewelry, melt it down, do something with it. I don't care. <laughs> Logan's on every single watch list now. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're going to have to get a pair of pliers. You need to remove every single tooth from that person's head and break them, grind them, crush them, turn them into powder. If they have teeth, they have a dental record. Then you are going to go find your your pig, and you're going to throw the body over there and give that pig maybe an hour. That pig will eat bone. It will eat skin. It will eat meat it'll eat all of it that body is gone there is no longer a record at all of that or you go out into the middle of a field this is where it's good to know somebody that has a lot of land you're going to dig a hole eight foot deep at least at least eight foot deep any reasonable person would dig it eight foot deep And you're going to put the sleeping person gently down into the hole. Remember, we didn't murder them. They're just sleeping. Gently. You go to your local feed store. Around here, there's a bunch of them. You're going to purchase a whole lot of lye. Farmers use lye to dissolve dead cows to get rid of the bodies. It is legal to buy. Anybody can buy it. That's terrible. You're going to go back to your hole and you're going to fill it full of lye on the sleeping person because you want them to sleep comfortably. (laughs) So you're going to put the lye all on them. Then you're going to fill your hole up about three foot. Now, most people in PETA would get mad at me, but you're going to want a dead animal. Mm -hmm. You're going to put the dead animal, preferably a large dead animal, Mm -hmm. on top of that body. Then you're going to bury it all the way back up top. 
Now, in Texas, the state flower is the blue bonnet. It is illegal mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to mow it. You are going to scatter that entire plot with blue bonnets. There is no one who can legally dig on that spot ever again in Texas as long as it is seeding. The lie would have already dissolved the body by the time that the blue bonnets died. If they even do go out there and dig it up, not only is the body completely dissolved, bone and all, the pig is there. They, if they had dogs, oh, the dogs picked up on the pig. Is it weird that you buried a pig in the middle of a field? Yeah. But you can sit there and be like, well, Cletus got bored and we just bought a backhoe and we needed something to do. So that's your two ways of really getting rid of a body in Texas. Matt's just shaking his head like he there's just he's done. There's this loss of words. You you can't bring me onto a show and ask me to help you with murder and me not help you. That's just rude. I agree. What's the strangest case you've had or strangest request from a family? Uh, We didn't do a funeral for one family because they wanted us to put him in the casket and this was on the way to the, uh, the, where he was going to be buried. They wanted us to put the casket on top of his bass boat that was on the trailer and haul his casket on the bass boat to the gravesite, take it off the bass boat. That's like nine foot. We would have to lift that casket with someone in it. And we were like, no. And then they also really, really wanted us to play wheel in the sky for his music the entire time. Yeah. I mean, that just sounds like Texas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, but that man also sat in a freezer for three months, and we still don't know if he ever had a funeral because the family refused to let him have a funeral unless they would put him on the bass boat and haul him. Can you do that? Can you just, like, keep a dead body? Yeah. Wow. Eventually, eventually, uh, if it's, it depends that, that man in particular was in a state owned morgue. They have a time limit. If that man isn't buried by a certain time limit, he gets cremated. Hmm. Yeah. I know they're real sticklers, but, <laughs> but once the body is embalmed, you can just stick it in the freezer and let it sit for a while, forever. I mean, we had a we had a family here in town. I'm not going to say any names, but they're they're cool people. But they wanted to make their own casket. They didn't want him embalmed. We did not embalm him, which you can do. Uh, Jewish funeral services, yeah. funeral rites, they don't embalm. Right. All they do is they get washed off, they get put in the uh, the linens, and then they get buried. By the, preferably, if they died at three o'clock, they want them buried by six. So that's how they wanted uh, this guy to be done. Well, there's your buried alive scenario right there. This family built his casket that they were going to put him in. They legitimately came into the funeral home when it was time to move him and nailed his casket shut in front of us. 
which was the most metal thing I have ever seen. Were they like looking at you while they did it? <laughs> no, uh, they were all drunk. This, I mean, they had an entire, they had an entire F1 like or F two fifty where the entire bed was full of nothing but thirty packs. That was the lead car for this funeral. Was the beer car? I mean, um, again, the beer truck sounds like Texas. Boogity boogity, let's go race some <laughs> But the men and the women never came in to make arrangements at the same time. The men thought they were just going to bury the casket. Well, the women wanted a vault, so a vault goes in the ground, and you put the casket inside it, and then you put a lid on top of it. Uh, it's basically to add some extra protection from the earth, from the moisture and everything. The, a vault, even a vault is going to leak at some point. So they're not there. I don't see a point in a vault. I'm just, you know, Ew. well, the women wanted this vault, but they never talked to the men about it. So when the men built the casket, they made a big casket. So we get to the graveside. These people have already been drinking since like two days ago. I have one of them flirting with me, uh, all this other stuff. We go to lower his casket into the ground and it tips over and like the corners poking up because it won't fit in the vault. So we have to pull him back out, pull the vault out and then put him back in the ground without the vault. Wow! And this whole time, there's a woman trying to get me to go to their house for a party after this. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a good funeral. <laughs> so you're gonna make your own casket, measure twice, and cut once. Thank you, Logan, so much for coming on and sharing your dark and twisted knowledge with us, um, and not reassuring us that we will yeah. never be laying on an autopsy table. I was going to say, this did not help me it at all. Did not. Oh. I'm here to make you question everything. Don't, <laughs> don't y'all worry. If you ever, ever feel safe, just give me a call and I'll give you another reason to worry. On Planet Fear. On Planet Fear. Be sure to check out our website, planetfearpodcast.com for links to our social media, contact information, and our latest episodes. You can also find us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us, give us that five-star rating, or hit the like button to let us know you enjoy the show. 